All right, looks like we're live. Hello, welcome to the Football Outsiders live stream for Thursday, May 19th, 2022. Sorry, we're coming at you a little late today. That's my fault, little squeeze and appointments. But we are here, and unfortunately, uh, we're without a guest today. Uh, our guest had to cancel on us last minute, but we're going to talk about the same subjects. We're going to talk about year two wide receiver improvements in a little bit, but first, we want to talk to you about the NFC North. Feel free to ask any questions you've got about the NFC North in our discussion. If you are watching us live on Twitch or YouTube or Twitter or Facebook, I'm Aaron Schatz, Editor-in-Chief of Football Outsiders, of course. Mike Tanier joins me as always. And so what we were going to originally do today was start off with a big debate about Mike's Monday article about the Chicago Bears and how they've basically left Justin Fields out to dry. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have our guests, so we don't have much of a debate because I'm sort of in agreement with Mike. <laughs> I, I win the debate by forfeit. I'm an intimidating presence on the internet, and somebody wanted to come and talk but didn't get to talk, but I had a chance to talk a little bit on a couple of radio shows about this. And uh, yeah, it's the Spartan baby syndrome. And I, I'm not alone in this. And I don't think we're alone in this in football outsiders. You're leaving Justin Fields out to dry in an almost frighteningly obvious way that says Ryan Poles, Matt Eberflus, they want their own guy at quarterback and they don't care. They don't care who they hurt to, to get that. And that includes taking Justin Fields, two first round picks that they traded to get Justin Fields and say, okay, go out there with, you know, Byron Pringle and, Equinemia St. Brown and stink for a year, stink for your second year. It, it's possible that that's not the mindset. I think it's possible the mindset is Eberflus, you know, I don't know much about Ryan Poles, right. but that Eberflus is a defensive coach and he came in and he wanted to fix the defense first. Yeah. And he didn't care that it would make it difficult for him to evaluate Justin Fields after year two and that maybe they feel like, well, or maybe they feel like, well, we'll be able to evaluate him knowing that his receivers are bad and we'll be able to adjust for that in our evaluation of him or such. But there's no doubt, I mean, that their receiving core in Chicago is lousy. And, um, you know, I mean, uh, it, it's funny because I said something on Twitter about someone who snitch tagged the players. <laughs> Right. Don't don't bug players with this. Like, you know, listen, we can criticize Equinemius St. Brown. Right. We can say that Byron Pringle is probably not as good as he looked in Kansas City. Right. Which are we're saying negative things, but I don't want players right. to think about that because they're all working hard. It's not like they don't work hard. Look, somebody's got to be the 96th best wide receiver in the NFL. Like everybody can't be Devontae Adams, right? I mean, it's not like the 96th best wide receiver in the NFL is not a way better athlete than me or than I was when I was 24 years old. Um, <laughs> that's the snitch my, tiger. That's the snitch tiger mentality mentality. And heaven forbid the mighty Gary Pettis's son come after me on Twitter. Like I, I don't know <laughs> if, if I can handle that. Like, Oh no, Tajay Sharp is bringing the full might of his, of his, you know, uh, Twitter following down on me. I just don't, I don't want to annoy these guys with the oh. fact that somebody is saying that they're not that good. Like they've got enough other stuff to worry about, and us saying they're not that good is not going to turn Tajay Sharp suddenly into Allen Robinson. Um, and what I said in the article, by the way, is like I said something. Like, had 16 catches in the last two years. Has yeah. had five ankle injuries in the last three years. I didn't say there were a bunch of idiots or something like that. I'm going after Ryan Poles. 
you know, that's mm-hmm. what's happening. But you can't, I guess you can't snitch tag the general manager. And yeah, to, to your point, you know, Matt, the defensive coach is looking and saying, well, I don't care that he doesn't have receivers or I don't care that he, uh, that we might not get an evaluation or even though I'm a defensive coach, I can still evaluate if everything stinks. Well, that's, that's the point then. <laughs> that's the problem that, that, that the organizational mentality is, eh, Making sure Justin Fields gets on the right track doesn't matter. That's that's what they're saying. Then right, and I think both yeah. of us would normally feel like in a quarterback-driven league, fixing the quarterback, making sure you have the right quarterback, right. and developing the quarterback comes first. Todd Singer says Eberflus is accustomed to having a subpar wide receiver core. Uh, I guess yeah, in Indianapolis, like Paris Campbell was never healthy, right. and yeah. T.Y. Hilton was falling apart. So Paris helped, you know, Paris. Uh, Michael Pittman was like all they had, and they put like Ashton Doolin out there and stuff. Yeah, um, this you is know, two the, below that, this is two levels below that. The responses, one of the responses that you had, you were talking about what the usual responses are from Chicago Bears fandom in the article. One of them really spoke to me, which was a lot of people are responding that they got first round talent with these defensive players that they got in the second round. I hate that idea mm-hmm. of first-round talent. The, the fact is that all of the talent in the draft is on a slope, right? Yeah. Some years, there's more of it that's better than other years. But it's not – I know that people like to talk about tiers, mm-hmm. but it's a, but the, even if there are tiers, the, the steps of the tiers are small. Yeah. Like, it's much more of a slope – of talent it's not like there's 20 guys who are first round in a year like this year where people felt there was less first round talent right it's not like there's 20 guys who are first round quality and then all of a sudden there's just this like gigantic drop in quality like a little drop in quality to (laughs) number 21 like so the fact that they got got i don't think they first of all nobody this year felt that there was first round talent coming in the second round but also like the talent that you get is usually roughly equivalent to the place that you pick. I mean, research has shown there's really no sleepers. Like there are reaches, but there are really no sleepers. When you take a guy in the second round, that's a guy who probably should have gone in the second round. Yeah, and, and like, even when you analyze it and say, well, first round talent, most of the times we talk about a dozen players or 15 players. Those are your first round talents. If teams are putting a tier list together, that's it. Then you have, like you said, that slope comes in. And you're right, it's a very tiny slope. Like after that, the difference between guy 16 and guy 45 or 50 is like 1%, 2% quality. It's a matter of scheme. It's a matter of the opinions of scouts, et cetera, et cetera. So you know, as a Bears fan wants to go and look at get uh, you know one of their defensive backs, like, look, he had a first round. He was, he was being mocked in the first round. That's great. So was George Pickens. So is Sky Moore. So is Christian mm-hmm. Watson. So are lots of guys. Because once we get after the first dozen people, everybody who's mocking, everybody in the NFL who's making tiers are putting like 30 guys on that tier. So, yeah, you got two first-round guys, so to speak. There were two or three first-round wide receivers on the board by using using the same rationale. And I'll, I'll say that our projections really like the Chicago defense this year. Okay. Like we're going to end up projecting Chicago better than Vegas, better than almost anyone else. I know ESPN put out their early projections. They had the bears as the worst team in the league. We don't have the bears anywhere close to the worst team in the league because we have their defense in the top 10. People say like they lost Khalil Mack, 
they only lost half a year of Khalil Mack. (laughs) Like they didn't have Khalil Mack for a lot of last year. They added a lot of talent. There is a lot of talent there. Regression to previous performance. Like there's, there's a a low takeaway rate last year tends to regress. Like there's a lot of reasons to believe in the bears defense. Uh, So our projection for the bears is going to be better than, than most of the projections out there. But I definitely feel like the offense looks like a, like a garbage heap. With Justin Fields trying to ride roughshod over it. And I'll I'll point out that this morning, Adam Johns from The Athletic wrote that the Bears are trying to transition into a run-heavy team (laughs) using outside zone, uh, which is great, but they're not going to be running a lot if they're down by 14 in the fourth quarter. Right. A running team outside zone, are they Northwestern now? That's every college is running a a run-heavy scheme right now with outside zone. and. That's fine. So, you know, I went back and double checked. And David Montgomery's a good running back. Um, and who's a, who is their backup? Uh, Khalil Herbert. It's a good one cut guy. Right. And who did they get in the sixth round? So they, they went out and they got Tristan Ebner in the sixth round. I'm like, oh, the kid from Baylor. And I'm, wait, wait, that's not the kid from Baylor. Because I saw the kid from Baylor at the Senior Bowl and I scouted him and, and wrote a write up on him. I wrote up Abram Smith, the other kid from Baylor. So Abram Smith ran for 1,600 yards at Baylor. Tristan Ebner, who ran for 799 yards, is the guy that the team that's going to be very run happy apparently in 2022. That's who they grabbed in the sixth round. The second best running back at Baylor. Great job, Ryan Poles. Everything's going great. Yeah. So, I mean, they absolutely, if the idea was like, let's spend this offseason rebuilding our defense, obviously you don't want to trade Khalil Mack. But other than that, I mean, you know, they – like the defense looks good. There's a lot of talent on this defense, but the offense, I mean, right now the left tackle is Larry Borum. Mm-hmm. Like I barely know who that is. Larry Broom, Larry Borum. Right. They got Sam Mustafer still penciled in. And uh, you know what they did? They brought in Lucas Patrick, who's a good center. Yes. But they, but they lost the guy to the Steelers, one of their good guards. Yeah, so, so they basically trade out, but losing right. James Daniels and uh, adding Patrick. Right. So they traded out on their offensive line, which was a bad offensive line. They've got Jenkins in there that they're hoping develops fair enough. Sometimes that happens with a tackle at the second year. There's just nothing here on offense. Now, by the way, the over-under is at six and a half for the Bears for wins. That's at minus 120, six and a half. I think that's close to the projection. If I saw the projection, our projection is higher than that. Yes. Yes. Our projection is higher than that, but subjectively I wouldn't go over that six and a half. No, No, if I'm doing overs, I'm talking about the saints or somebody like that. I'm not doing that for the bears. Listen, our numbers, listen, the early projections, right? So our early projections love the NFC North. We're going to end up with the Packers a little lower Mm -hmm. than everybody else uh, because of, the effect of losing Devonte Adams, uh, mostly, mm-hmm. but we're going to end up with the Vikings higher than everybody else. The, the projections sort of really absurdly love the Vikings, uh, mostly they, because their offense they, is really consistently good but right. not great, and it thinks their defense is slightly better than last year with adding like Sedarius Smith and stuff, and their special right. teams come out slightly better than last year because they were good at punting and that's like the most consistent part of special teams. Uh, and then Detroit, we like better than what's the over under on Detroit. I'm looking that up right now. The over under for the Vikings is nine and a half. So, so they're feeling it a little bit. It should be, it's nine. It's nine, which is better. 
So yeah. the house is feeling what you're feeling, and you can see it. There's continuity there. I love the fact that we love the Vikings because of their punting. Uh, like, that's so Vikings. Well, no, it's that their special teams goes up from, like, you know, slightly below average to a projection of slightly above average. It doesn't mean much. And as for the Lions, did you show somebody in Vegas our projections? Because they're at six and a half. The Lions are at six and a half over at minus 120. Oh, hmm. Ah, I don't know if I would go over that. I expected it to be lower than that. Yeah, I see I see, I see the number. And again, folks, uh, these aren't done cooking yet. You know, like like sometimes you have to like do a lot of triple checking right. and fact checking. I'm saying the number and, was- and there'll be more player movement, right? Like I mean, yes. there already has been things like Bradbury going to Philadelphia that are not exactly. accounted for. Exactly, exactly. So and Jarvis Landry earlier in the week, et cetera. Yep. But the number you're showing right now, I might be the problem is I'd be betting on the Lions, which I know. And it seems like we're over on the Lions every year and I'm sick and right. tired of it. And then the year <laughs> that I get sick and tired of it, they're gonna actually go over. But here here's the thing about the Lions. Remember that this is a team that started a really bad backup quarterback for three games. That's right. Was something like 27th in adjusted games lost on offense Mm. and had a wide receiver group that basically consisted of one dude. Yes. Amon Ra, the better St. Brown brother. Right. So uh, (laughs) how good is Osiris? I don't know how good Osiris is. Osiris. They were all on Moonlight. They were all on the, the Marvel Moon, Moon Knight special. All of the uh, monsters were being played by uh, St. Brown Brothers. Todd, Todd Singer points out Melvin Ingram, by the way, another move yes. this week. Yes, another another very good move by Miami that is not accounted for in the projections that I, can, I haven't put into the projections yet. But Detroit, like their offense, you add this year, you add DJ Chark, mm-hmm. and you add at least a half a year of Jamison Williams. Right. And you add a whole year of Josh Reynolds as the fourth receiver, okay. right? Last year, they only had him for a few games. Upgrade and they've got a good offensive line, and they've right. got TJ Hawkinson, and now their defense has Aiden Hutchinson. And there is the chance that one of these days, Jeff Akuda is going to realize who he is. <laughs> um, like, Detroit doesn't look like they totally suck. Mina Kimes said on NFL Live, and this is really true, they are an amazing setup for whichever quarterback is disgruntled in next year's offseason. Oh, I like that. Yes. Like you have a coach that people like to play for. You have a lot of receiving talent. You have a good offensive line. You've got Aiden Hutchinson leading your defense now with guys like Michael Brockers, you know, so you've got good talent there. Yeah. Like they need to, they just need to upgrade at the quarterback position, which they're either the, you know, if our projections are right, they're going to be too good this year to get one of the top quarterbacks. But I think they have two first round picks for next year so they can trade up and get. So they're in the right place for either one of the, those Stroud type 2023 quarterbacks or for whoever Kyler, is the disgruntled. Kyler Murray, Kyler Murray in the, on Thanksgiving. Kyler Murray for the Detroit Lions. Circle it. Put it in now. Meanwhile, the the, uh, the Bears will be trying to figure out what to do with Justin Fields and no wide receivers, and no one will want to play for them. Yeah, I, it's it's tough. The um, it's going to be an interesting, it's going to be an interesting division. But yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, we we like this division. I mean, I think the teams in this division are better than people think. Even though you know, because of the defense on Chicago, even though it feels like. When Fields has a bad year, I don't know if we're going to be able to, you know, make excuses for him. Right. 
Uh, and that Detroit still has to deal with Goff at quarterback, who's better than Tim Boyle, but he's still Jared Goff. <laughs> Packers are my, uh, over under is 11, by the way. That is too high. Yeah. That may be that may be the most comfortable over under. I feel is is the the Packers eleven is is high based. You want to go down opinion. on that? I would go down on that. Oh, phrasing, but you want to go under or that? And yeah. uh, it's it's minus one ten, so it's not a it's not a it's not too much of a lift there. I mean, yes, they get Jair Alexander back, so that's a that's, that's a positive for their defense, absolutely. But. Right. Um, they don't get Zadarius, right? They don't get everybody back. They were lost last year. They don't get Zadarius Smith back. They lost pieces on their offensive line. They're, they have you no don't know who the, there's no wide receiver one. Like, if you believe that Devontae Adams really was one of the top three or four wide receivers in the game, right. losing yeah. him really hurts. Losing him and replacing him with a kid from North Dakota State and Sammy Watkins, who will be on the injured list pretty much every other week for the whole year. Right. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I kind of would, I'm kind of thinking under on the Packers eleven. I'm gonna wait and see on that. I don't want to put too much money in the NFC North, and I think I'm taking the Vikings, which is very out of character for me. But yeah, we just, you know, our numbers really, they projections really like the Vikings this year. It's the, you know, they they were down last year, but if you look at their prior performance, if they regressed to prior performance, then they're gonna have a good offense. And if you have a good, they have a good offense with average defense and special teams, and then I think they have an easier than average schedule. It works right. out well for them. Right. Um, so the NFC North is very volatile, in my opinion. Yeah. Says Adam N. I see. I don't think of it as volatile because I do think there are clearly the two high teams and the two yeah. low teams. Right. Right. Like it clearly, like we have the Vikings better than Vegas. Right. But I think even Vegas. It's very clearly it's Green Bay and Minnesota are the playoff contenders. Right. And Detroit and Chicago are the, oh, my God, let's hope things go right. Right. Rebuilding teams. Um, I don't think any – I mean, it's possible for Detroit – you know, you can tell a story of Detroit suddenly becoming a playoff team. You can tell a story of Chicago becoming a playoff team. It mean, Their defense would have to be like top three or something. That's every Bears playoff story is a defense yeah. top three. So yeah, like I call the AFC North volatile. I would call the AFC West obviously volatile. This is more like things can happen, but uh, yeah, it's probably going to be two tiers. Yeah, the Bears, Adam N points out, I don't know what numbers these are by. The Bears had the third hardest schedule last year, and now they have the sixth easiest. I don't yeah. know if that's by win-loss. That's probably win-loss, which can always be. We have them in the middle of the pack for schedule since I have the projections up. Oh, okay. Right in the middle. Right. Yeah, in the middle we of have it. Chicago. Yeah, middle of the pack, slightly easier than average. Right, and of course, when you're looking at like a lot of the projections the NFL puts out, yeah, you know, teams change significantly during the during the off season, and that's where that uh, you know you have to kind of be mindful of that. I will say, I will point out by the way, part of the reason for our Packers projection being a little lower is that they have the last place special teams projection, and special that's teams right. are, you know, really. Uh, volatile from year to year so that you know they could have good special teams or they could have horrible special teams like last year again right um the projection is like minus 1.5 percent which is not that's not very negative and that's actually the worst that's how that's how tight together special teams projections are like every team except two 
is between like 1.5 and minus 1.5 because special teams are like very, very, very difficult to project right. unless you're the Ravens or the Patriots because <laughs> they're good on special teams right. every year. Um, speaking of the Ravens, so the other thing we were going to talk about on the show with our original guest, uh, but we'll talk about a little bit here, is year two wide receivers and the reason why is because I have the early Kubiak projections. I actually did a Rotowire magazine, fantasy magazine mock draft last week. So I had uh, Scott's current projections. And I realized just how many of the guys, if you look at the year over year improvement of players, just how many of them were year two wide receivers. So I was like, oh, it's really interesting to talk about all the year two wide receivers who are going to have much bigger roles in their second season. So we have a graphic which is going to get put up, and I'm hoping that it's up because uh, we changed the programming we used. And Ross, I can is, it see Ross, if Ross is it up? Yes, everybody can see it. So these are our top two uh, year two wide receiver improvements based on Kubiak fantasy point projections compared to how many fantasy points these players had last year. I will point out, by the way, this is different than who are the best wide receivers in their second year, right? Like the best wide receivers in their second year is starts Jamar Chase. Right. <laughs> uh, and then Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith, Rashad Bateman, and Amon Ross St. Brown. These are the guys with the biggest impression improvement but you've got some names that are improving significantly and should see a lot more playing time this year first of all Rashad Bateman from Baltimore uh who's going to start all year and be their number one receiver now yeah uh Kadarius Tony who we really only saw for a few games last year for the Giants Rondale Moore for Arizona who should play a larger role because of the Hopkins suspension. And then uh, he also missed three games at the end of last year. Uh, Nico Collins, who did almost nothing as a rookie for Houston, <laughs> but has a larger role this year. And then Thailand Wallace, because every Ravens receiver is projected to do better <laughs> than last year because the Ravens, have to because the Ravens as a whole have to be better than last year and now there's no Marquise Brown and they didn't bring in anybody to replace him right. uh, but there's other guys who also uh, aren't in this top five but who also were projected to improve in 2022 I would bring up Dwayne Eskridge mm. who was really good in playmaker score the problem is he now has Drew Locke throwing him the ball <laughs> um, you know one of the things I've never done the research on this. So this is anecdotal rather than proven by research. But I feel like when you have a, a downgrade in quarterback, right. the number one wide receiver still gets his. Yes. It's everybody else who falls. Right. And right. That makes so what you would have expected from – like Metcalf should still get his. But right. what you would expect from Lockett and Eskridge and Freddie Swain is less than what you would have expected with Russell Wilson at quarterback. The thing you might get with Eskridge, who was a guy I loved coming out of college, is that they do use him in a little bit of a slash role. They barely used him last year, but he was the end-around guy. He was the jet sweep guy and a lot of the little screens. So if they they start building a lot out of little screens, there's a chance he gets 
that role. And that, of course, PPR leagues for fantasy and touches and things like that. That's something that could work for him. And again, he's a guy I liked a lot. You mentioned Nico, Nico Collins in uh, from week 13 on week 13 on 15 catches, 218 yards, 14.5 yards per reception, one touchdown. So that's five games. He got up to about three receptions a game. That's not great shakes, but that's an indication that his role increased as the year went on for the Houston Texans. Uh, Joey sucks says Metcalf is at least a decent fit with what drew Locke can do competently, yes. which throw deep. Well, I guess in that case, Lockett should be getting his too. Cause Lockett is fabulous as, uh, as a deep receiver. Right. Um, other guys, by the way, I'm, another guy who's bad quarterback situation, but talented and should get more play in his second year is Terrace Marshall from Carolina. Oh gosh. He was a good ball player coming out of college, but I got no idea there. And then the <laughs> other one who, should be getting more play this year is Anthony Schwartz from Cleveland. Yes. Uh, right. With no more Beckham there and mo- no more Jarvis Landry. I-, I think he's now wide receiver three at this point. Uh, yeah. I-, I was never a fan of him. I believe if I'm remembering him right, he's like the skinny little. Deep yeah. He's guy. like a skinny little speed demon. Right. Right. So maybe he, in fantasy terms, especially maybe he's the guy who has, six touchdowns, but they're scattered all like the wind across his schedule. Uh, going back to Bateman, if people lost track of Bateman last year, uh, a lot of us loved him coming out of college. He's a good short threat. He's a good yak threat. Got injured in training camp, rookie camp, which always happens to every Ravens receiver. Hollywood Brown got injured right away. That young man from um, Notre Dame that everybody liked got injured right away. Uh, oh, well, Miles Boykin, yeah. Miles Boykin. Miles Boykin. I wasn't a huge fan of Boykin, but anyway, he got hurt right away. Now he's gone. He's not on the roster anymore. Bateman missed the first couple of games, comes in, had a couple of really solid games in the middle. Not great. Three, four, five reception games. And then Tyler Huntley experience kicks in late in the season and he's not with Lamar anymore and his numbers start to slip. So I like the idea of Bateman as a, you know, the wide receiver one getting more opportunities. What I'm anticipating is the entire fantasy world is thinking the same thing because he's a number one receiver on a team with a very good quarterback. And so, and I, and I, you know, I, did my Google searching last night and every fantasy site is like breakout candidate, number one, number two, number three, and it's Bateman. So I like him. I think he's going to improve, but if you're going out there and you're drafting, be mindful of the idea that he might get turbocharged. There might be helium underneath of him, and people might be taking him ahead of, I don't know, you know, Mike Williams or Hunter Renfro or something because. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. Mike, I would take Mike Williams ahead of him. Definitely. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my guy that I like, because we were all going to pick out a guy, my right. guy that I liked is Rondale Moore. Rondale Moore had a terrible DVOA in his first year. I will yes. so if if you know DVOA is predicted for receivers, that's bad. But he only had one touchdown, which seems very artificially low. And yeah. he adds runs. I don't want to say that D word that ends in Ebo, but <laughs> He did carry the ball 18 times in 14 games last year. Right. And the Hopkins suspension means he's going to definitely get more playing time early. Right. And A.J. Green is now a year older. Yes. You know, so when Hopkins comes back and they're looking at what their three wide sets are, Moore's going to be the slot guy. And it's going to be Brown, Green, and Hopkins taking turns. Well, it's going to be Brown and Green taking turns on the outside. Hopkins will play all the freaking time and and then more is the slot guy um so i think rondale Moore he has sneaky upside he's a great end of your draft upside candidate absolutely 
especially PPR, because he's like a low yards per reception, get a lot of slot catches guy. Yeah, I can see him in that PPR role. I'm 50-50 about Kadarius Tony, another guy I like coming out of uh, school. The last regime hated him. Uh, this regime, it sounded like they were going to doghouse him or he was – there was like some rumblings, and, and now he's in camp. I, you know, I'm seeing the, the, the footage from up North Jersey, and he's in camp and he's participating, and I think he's in the team plans. A little bit similar to Moore in that he can do that slash role and things like that. Somebody's going to get targets for the New York Giants. And they don't, they don't have to be great targets, especially in Tony's case. It could be we're down by 17 and we're throwing the ball underneath targets, and Tony could wind up rocking a PPR league based on that. Yeah, Todd Singer pointed out Tony had one huge game, but not much else. And Patrick Seeley says Chase and Waddle are 100 out of 100s. Yeah. Right. Chase and Waddle, I mean, our projection for Chase is a decline because he was so good last right. year that you have to produce, you have to project some regression. Like, right. You know, there's no year to year two jump when you were that good in year. <laughs> well, of course, Chase. I mean, Chase is the highest. He's like our third or fourth. I don't know if he's that high. He's 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 pretty high though. He's. I know our highest projected wideout is Cooper Cup, and number two is Justin mm-hmm. Jefferson. But um, we have Chase pretty high up there in the fantasy. And then Waddle. The question is Tyreek, I guess. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they play. I don't know, not similar roles, but Hill is Hill does get a lot of short stuff. Like the thing about Hill is that he doesn't catch a lot of intermediate stuff. Yes. He'll catch the deep stuff and then yep. short stuff. Right. So he ends up where his his average depth of target is intermediate, but it's not because he's catching a lot of 14-yard passes. Right. And Waddle, I'm not sure what his NFL role is going to be because last year he caught a lot of RPOs or they would feed him a screen pass with six defenders coming to him because it was a telegraph screen pass because they had two coordinators and neither of them could do anything. So right. they can peacefully coexist. I'm just wondering how it'll work out from a, from a fantasy standpoint. What now you, who was your guy that you wanted to talk about your two guy? Well, working on the football outsiders almanac, working on the chargers chapter, which I just turned in, check your email. Uh, uh, Josh Palmer. And this is a guy, a bigger receiver out of Tennessee, second round guy. Kind of gets, he was smushed in behind uh, Mike Williams and Keenan Allen last year. And he was fighting with the guy, because right now, Guyton, I believe his name is, who's the deep threat. Yes, Jalen Guyton. Yeah. Later in the season, they lost some guys on and off to COVID. There were some injuries. Palmer more and more was the guy that was getting that third and 12 reception or target, at least, from Justin Herbert was showing up. This, so again, this is a big target duplicates Mike Williams to a little degree, but there should be a ton of targets going around for the Los Angeles chargers and high quality targets with Herbert doing it. I don't think they're going to throw the tight end as much because Jared cook has finally been assumed in the drop past heaven. Uh, so uh, that's going to give even more opportunities. And I think Palmer's going to emerge as that number three and he could siphon a few away from Keenan Allen as well. Cause Keenan Allen is now on the wrong side of 30 and turning more and more into like a short pass, you know, crossing route, third and five kind of target. I did read a lot this off season about why did the Chargers not address their receiving core more? And, and yeah. I thought, you know, they drafted Josh Palmer in the third round last year. Like they've right. got three, they've got three guys, right? They're not super deep at receiver, but they've got their three guys. And they've then got, they've got, and then they've got Guyton as the fourth guy. Yeah. And, it, and it's tricky. Cause I'm, I, again, just wrote the chapter. It's like they prioritized their pass defense with Jackson yeah. And, and, and Mac, and that's what they did. And a lot of us, 
and I, the, the chapter folks, if you're, you're listening, the chapter's about how, well, why don't you just fix the run defense and maybe add a weapon on wide, at wide receiver and get a right tackle and, you know, get a plan on fourth down. That's not, well, let's just, we're going for it. We're not sure how we're going for it. Why don't you kind of address those things? And, you know, you talk about the reasons why, and they, there's a plan. I mean, you can see that they have receivers. They like, they extended Mike Williams. So whereas where other teams were losing weapons, they kept their weapon. Okay. Yeah, I'm not worried about the Chargers passing game this year. And they absolutely, look, they definitely believe in the analytical idea yeah. that the pass is predominant in the modern NFL. Their right. team is built to pass the ball and stop the pass. And yes, Austin Eckler is nice. And yes, they did do things like Sebastian Joseph Day to try to make sure they weren't 32nd in run defense. And yes, you need to be able to run the ball if you're going to go for it on fourth and short all the time because right. running the ball tends to convert more often than passing. Right. But uh, I think, I mean, I like their plan. I like their plan. I, I've, I'm, you know, honestly, like I'm drinking the Charger Kool-Aid this year. <laughs> like I, I, Here's a hint. Current projections, that's our AFC West champion. That is our AFC West champion. And you can see it because if the idea seems to be that they can solve all these, they're going to solve all these other problems with experience. Another year in the system, maybe tweak their play calling a little bit. You know, your Sebastian Joseph Day coming in and replacing Tillery, that's an upgrade, et cetera. If they fix all those little things with experience and just like letting things cook a little more, and they added Jackson and they added Mac, then that's it. Then that, that's who. Their defense should just improve substantially this year. And their offense, I don't see any reason to believe that it's going to decline. And I don't see any reason to believe it's going to be better, but I don't see any reason to believe it's going to decline. And their special teams projection is 31st, I believe, but they just they've added a couple of return men. They added DeAndre Carter. And one of their big problems, I am certain, was fumbling kicks and punts. Yeah, and like I said, you know, special teams projections are very volatile. So everybody except the Ravens and Patriots has a special teams projection that's very close to average because you just don't know. Other than those two teams who are consistently good on special teams, you just don't know. Although, I don't know, maybe there needs to be a Chargers variable that they're consistently bad on special teams because they are every year. It's it's amazing, but it went from blocked kicks to missed field goals because the kicker was injured to – fumbled and muffed punts like every, there's a different problem every year so yeah. it's not like well we have this old kicker and we just we just are stuck with him it's, it's weird their punter is terrible though and they kept him last year and i think they kept him for this year too and then they need they need a new punter badly i think they no, they added a kicker or they? did they add a kicker or a punter they added a kicker the uh the, the bears drafted a punter that's exciting uh yes james mccourt i'm not fully versed in james mccourt uh, uh lore but they they did, and yes, J.K. Scott. Yes, the Chargers have a new punter. They got rid of the punter from the last two years. J.K. Scott is new. Okay. I don't remember the name of the other guy who was terrible, but they have a new guy. And DeAndre Carter's return man, reliable with some big play capability. Last year they brought in Andre Roberts, who fits that description, and he started fumbling. It was really it's weird. It's in the uniforms. <laughs> yes, <laughs> better, better field position from the punter that Chicago drafted will definitely help fields. How dare you suggest they're leaving out the drive? They have good. They, field they, they drafted the other punter, right? There was the guy who went first, yes, and then yes. there was punt god who went to Buffalo, yes, and then also some dude named Trenton Gill went in the seventh round to the Bears. I have no idea who that is. Yeah, he's not, not the guy that all the scouts like, and he's not the punt god. He's just another guy. He's the other guy. He's the guy Ryan Poles likes, just like the other Baylor running back. 
Patrick Seeley thinks the Chargers don't use analytics consistently. You have to explain a little bit more what you mean by that, Patrick, because, I mean, certainly on the fourth down thing, they are, I mean, consistently very forward thinking. Yes. But obviously the analytics is, there's a lot more to analytics than fourth downs. But right. I think the fact that they're so pass uh, focused on both offense and defense is a you know, that's a fairly analytical thought process also to be so pass focused on offense and defense. Right. So. And their resource management at those positions, like their their, you know, how much how much money they spend at re- at cornerback and edge, how little they spend at running back, all that is very analytics as well. See, at least true. There were a couple of times in the second half of the season where they didn't go for it on fourth, where they should have, and so maybe there was some inconsistency there. But um, I mean, Staley still finished first in aggressiveness index. In history. Uh, no, not in history. It's a the first in history is John Harbaugh from two it's years. It's a Harbaugh. Ago. Didn't didn't you recalibrate? Maybe, we recalibrated ago. this year, but uh, even using the old one, John Harbaugh a couple of years ago is number one. Uh, okay. In history, but Staley would be like second or third. Okay. Well, um, we'll edit that chapter. <laughs> we'll edit that paragraph. Uh, all right. He he <laughs> has the highest aggressiveness index career, but that's because John Harbaugh. Right. Plus thirteen years in the NFL. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. That does it for today's somewhat shortened show. Thank you to everybody who joined us a little late. We really appreciate it. Thank you to everybody who's uh, commenting live during the shows. Please, a reminder, we love to have the back and forth with people. So please come watch the live stream live, which is usually starts at 1 p.m. Eastern on Thursdays. And make sure that you are talking to us live during the show. Thank you to everybody who listens afterwards also on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show because it helps people find us. And we will be back next week talking something else about football, whatever stories come up in the next week. We're in the off season, so who knows what we're going to be talking about. But Mike and I will be back next Thursday at 1 o'clock. So long, everybody. 